This morning our text is found in the book of Exodus chapter 17. If you have a copy of God's Word, look with me at this passage. The book of Exodus chapter 17, and we'll begin reading with verse uh, 8. We're looking at the names of God. And what happens in God's Word, we find that God reveals himself with different names. And taking those different names, we understand more about his character. And so in Exodus chapter 17, beginning with verse 8, we find this story. It says, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up and on top of the hill. And so it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other, one on the other. And thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Pray with me. Father, we pray today that you'll help us to see your word, and Father, that we'll understand who you are, that Father, you are our defender, and you are our banner. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love reading history about boxing. Boxing is like baseball. They have some of the best stories out there. And you may know Muhammad Ali, you may know George Foreman, you may know Mike Tyson or Tyson Fury, but you may not know C.D. Blaylock. And people should know C.D. Blaylock because he did something in the ring that no other boxer had ever done. In the 1930s, this six-foot-six boxer, who, by the way, went by the name of Big Boy Blaylock, stepped in the ring to fight what he thought was going to be an easy opponent. It was in the second round. Blaylock threw a massive roundhouse punch. His opponent, who was much smaller than Blaylock, stepped in, and his hand caught Uh, his elbow, and Blaylock was so large, his arm went around the opponent's head and hit himself in the jaw. (laughs) He staggered, grabbed the rope, almost went around the ring one full time like a Ric Flair move, and then fell on his face, and he was counted out. C.D. Blaylock became the first boxer and the only boxer in history who ever knocked himself out with a punch. Do you realize sometimes as Christians we do that? We fight our spiritual battles and we knock ourselves out. We do not rely upon God. We do not rely upon God's strength. We try to do everything in our own strength and our own power. And guess what happens? We knock ourselves out. We think we can overcome evil. We think we can overcome this world. We think we can overcome Satan on our own. And what happens? We get knocked out. In our text this morning, we find a story of God showing his people that he is our defender. 
He's reminding us that we do not fight our own battles. He's reminding us that we are to rely upon him. Now, to understand this, we have to do a lot of history. I want to go back to show you what's taking place. The people have left Egypt going to the promised land. And through this journey, they're seeing the power of God. In Exodus chapter 14, you know the story. You've seen the movie. The Egyptians are chasing the people of Israel. And what does God do? He parts the Red Sea and saves the children of Israel. Then in chapter 15, the people are praising God. They are singing, praising him for what he has done. At the end of chapter 15, verse 22, they've been in the desert now for three days. And those same people who are praising God in three days are thirsty and they're upset with God. And they're upset with Moses. And so Moses cries out to God, hey, God, you got to do something. And all they had was this bitter water they couldn't drink. And and God said, well, take a tree and put this in the water, and it'll be sweet water. And and God provided the water. And then the very next chapter, chapter 16, it says in verse 2, they became angry again at Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. I mean, think about this. For 400 years, they've been praying to God, Lord, will you uh, free us? And God is answering the prayer, and all they're doing is griping. And God answers the prayer. And so God does another miracle for them. He provides food for them. It's called manna. And he provided food for them for 40 years. And they'll never go hungry. So guess what they do? They complain. They got tired of manna. They're saying to Moses, Moses, no, we have, we've had baked manna and broil manna and barbecue manna and braised manna and basted manna. We're, we're tired of manna. They didn't look at it as God's blessing. They looked at it as something boring, and, and they were upset with God. They didn't realize the manna was a picture of the Messiah. Later on, we looked at the story a few weeks ago in the book of John where Jesus said, I am the bread, I am the manna. The manna was white, which speaks of the purity of Jesus. The manna was from heaven, which speaks of the presence of Jesus. The manna saved and sustained the, the people just as Jesus saves us and sustains us. So we see in chapter 14, 15, and 16, the people are in danger, and God provided. And every time, they're grumbling. There's a warning about grumbling when God is providing. And so now we get to chapter 17. In chapter 17, verse 1, they come, the Lord leads them to Rephidim. And if you go back and look at that verse, it says, He led them there, and there was no water. Now, why would God do that? He led them to where there was no water. And guess what did they do in verse 2 and 3? They complain. God, why did you do this? Why are you leading us here? I mean, why would God do that? Why would God lead a bunch of complaining people to a place where there's no water? Because God will bring us to the places of need so that we will call upon him in our weakness. God will bring us to the places of need so that we will glorify him when he delivers us. God will bring us to the places of need so that when God does deliver us, we'll know who God is. It was a psalmist who said in Psalm 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will rescue you, and you will honor me. By the way, have you noticed the same pattern in this series? When I was preparing these messages months ago, I started noticing that pattern. 
Every time the names of God is revealed, there's a pattern there. It begins with people are blessed and they praise God. Then they go through trials and tribulation and they question God. And then in their trials, they look to God and God uh, reveals himself to who he really is. That's the pattern on all these names of God. You see, it's not in the blessings of life we see the power and the majesty of God. It's always in the valleys and trials we see the majesty of God. And so whenever we go through trials, what happens, we're more attuned to God, that, who he is, and that's the pattern. So anyway, in chapter 17, Moses cries out to God, says, God, what do I do? And God says, take some people and take the staff, the staff of God, and go to a rock and strike the rock and water will come from the rock. And that's what Moses did. He took the staff, the staff of the Lord, he hit the rock, water came out and provided God is showing them, this is my staff. It's not Moses' staff. It is my staff. You're not to trust in Moses. You're to trust in me. And then we come to verse 8. In verse 8, it says, they were attacked by Amalek. Are you kidding me? I mean, they've been hungry. They've been thirsty. They've been upset with Moses. They've been upset with God. Then everything is okay. And what happens? They are attacked. But something's going to be different this time. You see, in the past, all their experiences with God, God did everything for them. Go back to Egypt. What did God do? He brought the plagues, leading them out. God divided the Red Sea. God destroyed Pharaoh's army. He provided the water. He provided the food. Everything before this passage, God did. They didn't do anything. I mean, this really is a picture of our salvation. God does everything. We receive salvation by grace through faith alone and apart from works. And so we see this picture in the Old Testament. But now, God is going to save his people from the attack, but they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to fight. They're going to have to face their external enemies and take up the sword. And the Bible says this was Amalek. Now, who's Amalek? Amalek was the grandson of Esau. If you remember the story, Esau was a worldly man. In fact, he despised his birthright for a bowl of stew. He succeeded in the world. He failed in the things of God. And Amalek, the Amalekites, are always a picture of the world in the Bible. They're a picture of the world and the flesh. They represent perpetual spiritual warfare. And you see this throughout the Old Testament. <clears throat> so, now they're being attacked by Amalek. And in verse 9, unlike the Red Sea experience, God says, you're going to have to fight. Whoa. You know, sometimes God tells us to stand still and let God do it. Sometimes God says, stand up, and I'll give you the strength. And you have to know which one is which. You want a good grade? You need to pray, but you better study. You want a good job? Well, you better pray, but you better apply. You want a building? You better pray, but you better give. You see, we cannot excuse our irresponsibility to the name of God. And so now they're going to fight at this place. Now, remember, these, these are not soldiers. They have never been trained in battle. They have never been an army. There's not a professional military soldier among them. They were former slaves. Now they're going against armed, experienced desert dwellers on their own turf. They're completely untested. Their morale has been down. Their leader is not in front of them. Their leader is on the hilltop, 
holding a stick. But God is going to show them something that day. He's going to teach them a lesson that they will need for the rest of their journey, and he's going to teach them a lesson we need for our journey. Because on that hilltop, there's Moses, and he's holding the staff in the air. Now, what does this have to do with anything? You have to connect the first part of the chapter to this part. What's the common denominator? The staff of God. Listen, Moses is not, is not Gandalf and, and has power of his own. The staff represented the power of God. It's not about Moses. It's about God. Moses was removed from the thick of the battle to the hill top so that the staff of God could be seen. See, here's what God wants the people to know. Israel must learn the dependence upon the Lord for victory and only him. When the power and the presence of God is at the forefront of the victory, they will have victory. God is showing them this incredible lesson. Your battles are not determined by your skills and by your talents. Your battles are determined by the power of God. Yes, there are people fighting in the valley, but the victory is found on the hilltops in the presence of God. Victory that takes place in the valleys are always won on the hilltops. Please understand this morning when you are fighting any battle in, in your world, battle uh, of the world, the flesh, or the temptation of Satan, whatever it may be, you are fighting spiritual battles. And you would not be determined uh, by what you see, it's by what you don't see. And so they win the battle. They won the victory. And then verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in the book as a memorial. Okay. He said, I want you to do this so people will always remember. This is a commemorative altar. And recite it to Joshua that I will utterly block, blot out the memory of the Amalek from the heavens. And Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. You know what a banner is? A banner is a symbol of identification. It's a visual reminder of something. God is saying, I am your visual reminder of who's leading you. Banners have been around for thousands of years. Banners were important, especially in military con- uh, conflict. You looked up and you saw that banner, you, know, you knew who you were fighting for. You saw the banner still up in the air. You knew the battle wasn't lost. And here's Moses saying, God is our banner. As Moses was on the hilltop holding that staff of God, the staff was the banner. It wasn't Moses. You see, every believer needs to remember God's power is the key to victory. And we need to look at our banner, and our banner is named Jesus. We look at Jesus and see who we fight for. We look to Jesus and see who we are commanded to follow. We look to Jesus to see how we get our power. We look at Jesus to see our source of victory. What's your banner? I mean, what is your banner? What is your emblem of hope? When everything's going wrong and everything's falling apart, when you're in the valley fighting your battles, who do you look for? I mean, is your banner possessions? Is your banner your education? Is your banner your strength? Is your banner politics? Is your banner your mind? What is your banner? Moses said, our banner is the Lord. That's our banner. Jesus is our banner. He is the banner that we take in the battles to fight and help broken families. He is the banner that we fight against sin and temptation. He is the banner that we 
live a, a successful life. He is the banner. Most people have never heard of Army Sergeant William Carney, but they should. He earned the Medal of Honor by protecting the United States banner, the American flag. Carney was born into slavery in North Fort Virginia in 1840. His family moved to Massachusetts to their freedom, and Carney joined the Union Army in 1863. It was on July 18, 1863, Carney's regiment was led a charge against Fort Wagner in South Carolina. In that battle, the man who was carrying the flag, just a few feet away from Carney, was shot and was falling. Carney ran, scrambled over there, and grabbed the flag. Despite suffering gunshot wounds himself, he kept that flag high above as he crawled up to the wall of that fort. When the troops saw the flag moving forward, they followed the flag. Carney planted that flag in the sand at the base of the fort. He held it upright with almost a near lifeless body. They had to rescue him at the end of the battle. And even then, he wouldn't give up. They, they said that when he came and to take him away, he would not let go of the flag. He held onto the flag until he went, gave, went back with assistance back to temporary barracks. They said Carney lost blood and nearly lost his life, but not one time did he allow the flag, the banner, to touch the ground. And he was promoted to rank of sergeant for his action. And for all his bravery, he was awarded the Medal of Honor on May 23rd, 1900. It took that long. The banner meant everything to him, and he was willing to die for it. The banner was everything to him. And he knew that as long as it was in the air, the soldiers would fight and not give up. The banner was, meant everything to him, and he wanted to honor it. The banner was everything to him because he knew it was the key to winning the battle. What's your banner? You see, there's a principle that found in this story. Very simple. Our banner, Jesus Christ is the key to winning all of our battles. And we need to follow him with all of our hearts. That's the lesson. This morning, you need to take up the banner of Jesus Christ if you're going to win your battles. And you need to follow him with all of your heart. Will you do that this morning? If you're online today watching us, will you just text the word today at 270-398-5005. And a minister will give you a call. If you would like to take up the banner to give your life to Jesus Christ in a personal way. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, will you take up the banner? He is the one that will help you fight the battle. In fact, he's the only way you're going to win the battles. As we begin singing in a few moments, the ministers will be at the front. Just come talk to one of us by saying, I need to give my life to Jesus. Or I need to join this church. Or maybe there's some other decision you need to make. Whatever decision you need to make, I encourage you to make it under the banner of Jesus Christ. Would you stand by your heads? And Father, we thank you so much for our banner, the banner of Jesus Christ. And Father, if there's anyone here today or anyone watching online who's never given their life to Christ, Father, let today be the day. No more excuses. 
Or Father, maybe someone here today, they're going through battles. Father, let them be reminded it's not their strength, it's not their talents, it's not their abilities that will win the battles. It is you. Speak to us now, Father, in this time of invitation, and let us respond. In Jesus' name, amen.